0: I think investing in yourself will pay most dividends later on. I think if you're young, especially, then investing in your career and investing in yourself will likely pay more if you're investing in the right way.
1: Welcome to Teach Me Something New. I'm your host, Britt Morin, and this is a production of iHeartRadio and Britton Co my life, everyone's told me I should focus on being good at one thing. But the truth is, I'm curious about a lot of things. But how do you learn about everything? The answer? Make the world's best experts teach you in less than an hour. So come along with me as we all learn something new. Oh my goodness, money, money, money. (laughs) our favorite topic. It's our favorite topic. It's something that we all need. (laughs) We all need, we want. It's like a sensitive subject from how we were raised as little kids, like how we thought about money. But I'm so excited for Nicole to be back. You know, we had her on last season and she taught us all about how to sort of conserve our money and spend our money, especially during the pandemic. But we didn't really go into how to make money. And I think especially with this self-made course we launched recently and we've been teaching women how to become entrepreneurs and how to make their own money. And that was all inspired from the pandemic. And there are other ways you can make money besides becoming an entrepreneur, even though that's our (laughs) favorite way. So I can't wait to get all the tips and tricks.
2: Yeah, I think that what I love most about the last episode is Nicole's take on everything being about learning the language, sort of understanding all of the acronyms, all of the terms and how they apply to you and how they don't. So I'm excited to kind of dive into making money and what is the point of a side hustle? Are there like little ways you can make it if you're not ready to take a big leap and and that type of thing? So I'm super stoked. Totally. Well, let's
1: get to it. We are here to welcome back our good friend and financial guru, Nicole Lappin, who is here to teach us something new about making money. Welcome, Nicole. Hi, ladies. It's so good to be back. Reunited feels so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Nicole, when we spoke last, we were barely into the pandemic. What have been the biggest changes since we last spoke?
0: So I think when we last spoke, there was a lot of panic, right? We had just gotten into the pandemic. Everybody was freaking out about the stock market, about their jobs. Now it's like the new normal. So we've kind of figured out what our job situation is. The stock market is always going to be up and down. That's how the stock market works. It's a roller coaster. You don't get off in the middle of a roller coaster. And you don't make decisions, generally speaking, when you're panicked. So I think that what's really changed is... Not just budgeting, but actually growing wealth because you can't budget your way into wealth. And this is actually a really, really great time. There's never a bad time to start investing, it's never too late to start investing. And I know it sounds like gobbledygook. So, you know, I think that demystifying that is hopefully one of the winners of this pandemic.
1: Yeah, totally. This is scary to think about investing, especially for the first time. And just to stick on that for a minute, what are your tips for even getting started if you've never invested before?
0: Buying low and selling high, like we've heard it time and again. But the problem is like, we don't know where the low is and we don't know where the high is. And so right now, things are generally on sale. And when you're buying on the lows, that's like Going shopping when stuff's on sale. I love going shopping when stuff's on sale. And I think when you're just starting to invest, I like the KISS acronym, and normally it's keep it simple, stupid, but. <laughs> Obviously, we're not stupid. So I say keep it simple, sister. And really, like, don't try to get too exotic. People keep asking me, like, should I invest in Zoom or should I invest in cryptocurrency or this stock or that stock? And I think really when you're starting, think about what Warren Buffett said. That dude knows what's up with money. He said the best investment Americans make is low-cost S&P 500 index funds. Period. End of story. And I can tell you what an index fund is. It's not even that complicated. It's just like a whole bunch of different stocks smooshed together so it's diversified for you. It's technically a mutual fund. You can also look at ETFs, which are basically the same thing, and they trade on stock markets. The first thing you need to think about is are you a hands-on or a hands-off investor? So we could do this together if you want. Are you guys hands-on or hands-off?
1: I think I'm hands-on. What do you think, Ange? I'm definitely hands-off. <laughs>
0: oh, okay. So, Britt, hands-on would be like the brokers, T. Rowe Price, uh, Meritrade, Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab, E-Trade, all of those. Your risk tolerance and the way you handle your life or your career or your family is really like how you should handle your money. And if you don't have... A risk tolerance in general, if you're not a risky person, if you're not an entrepreneurial person, cool. Like, don't try to be something else. There is space for everybody and all personalities. So Ange, in the hands-off world, would be like robo-advisors. So robo-advisors oh. sound super sci-fi-y. They're not. They're not robots. They're like the wealth friends, the betterments, the merrill edges of the world. So what does robo-advisor do? So you can download their app. You put Put in your money, you can put in like a hundred bucks. It doesn't have to be something large. And then essentially your hands off and they're doing a lot of the heavy investing lifting for you. It basically helps you create a portfolio versus you Brit, if you're like going on Schwab or E-Trade, then you need to go in there and do stuff with your portfolio or automate it.
1: I use Robinhood, plug for Robinhood. So then I feel like I'm in between.
2: Because I use, I do it through Vanguard and Schwab, so it's like sort of
0: manual, but sort of not. By the way, the more the merrier. Like mm. you don't even have to put a ring on one of these mm. places, brokerages or apps. And if you're just starting, you know, an app might be an easy gateway into this. And I am a big fan of using some play money. Like if you have 500 extra bucks, like don't take it too seriously. Don't go into it thinking like, I have to make my fortune right now. I mean, you're going to learn so much when you have a little bit of skin in the game more than you'll ever learn by us talking about it for an hour or a class or a day or a week or a month. Like you getting in there, you know, like Some schools do fake portfolios for kids, right? Like you can track different stocks. But I say, you know, take that up a notch and actually play around with it. And then you start seeing like as you're making money, it becomes really addicting.
2: It's hard to know where to start, you know, and I think that with some people they would think of, robo-advisor or RoboCop or whoever you mentioned as and, and be sort of nervous about it because they're so out of control, but then they want to be in control and don't know where to start. So when it comes to the stock market, how should people be assessing companies to invest in? Should they be focused on tech stocks like the next Zoom or Slack or smaller companies? What advice do you have there?
0: I really think, especially when you're starting out, do not get fancy with stock picking, like unless you are going to sit there and become a day trader, uh, which I don't think you are. I think it's important to dollar cost average and start with index funds, low cost S&P 500 index funds or Dow or whatever index your heart desires. You can even go for a more techie index just as long as there's a bunch of different stuff in there. So if like something goes down, then your whole portfolio doesn't go down because there's likely something else in there that's gone up. And you can get in on a bunch of different things without actually spending a bunch of money for those different things. And let's say you have like 12000 bucks, I would say do not put $12,000 in the stock market today. I would say take that out, divvy it up, dollar cost average, fancy terminology for putting little chunks of that into the market at different times. So $1,000 every month for easy math. And you're essentially hedging against some of those fluctuations. You can do that automated. Uh, There are ways to set that up with whatever brokerage you prefer. Again, it's like toilet paper. Like you go to the supermarket, and there's a whole bunch of toilet papers and paper towels. Like, essentially, they're all the same, right? It's just, like, kind of a matter of preference. Do you want the ripples? Do you want the (laughs) two-ply, the three-ply? I want the four-ply. Like,
1: I like it extra cushy. Same, same. (laughs) Okay, what about crypto? So, I do own some crypto. And, in fact, two years ago or three years ago, I don't remember, when crypto was at its peak uh, in culture, we hosted a crypto conference for women, teaching them about the value of crypto. And in fact, we made up a phrase called Britcoin. <laughs> there are t shirts yes, that say Britcoin. I've got a t shirt. Yeah. I actually have been surprised by the price increase of, of Bitcoin and crypto. And also, despite the volatility, kind of the stabilization, this volatility in the public markets, the stabilization of crypto. But what are your thoughts on it?
0: I know I sound like Debbie Downer and that I'm not like bringing this sexy advice, but really, you don't want to get too sexy with your money. There are other ways to display your sexiness, if you ask me. And crypto, listen, I suggest keeping your investment in crypto or crowdfunding or like whatever exotic variety you want to invest in to 1% of your net worth. So your net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. So let's say you calculate all that and I have a bunch of charts to help you do that and like figure out what you owe versus what you own. You don't have to be a millionaire, a billionaire to have a net worth. You can have a net worth of $100,000 and 1% of that is $1,000. So if... You have $100,000 net worth. I wouldn't put more than $1,000 into crypto. That's just okay. my role of thumb. I know that everybody wants like hard, fast rules. Again, it's like a bigger picture of what you're dealing with. So if you have a long-term time horizon, right, Britt, like you are baby cakes. So you're not retiring maybe ever, <laughs> I don't think. You're far from typical retirement age. So you have more time to play around. If you're not... In your situation, like where you have 30 years of like crypto, you know, who knows what's going to happen to crypto in 30 years? Who knows what's going to happen with the stock market in 30 years? But you have time to bounce back from it and you have time to be more aggressive. If you don't, if you're like five years away from retirement, then you want to be more conservative. And so you want to go to more conservative investments like bonds. The rule of thumb is to take your age and then take that percentage and buy bonds. So I'm 36. The rule of thumb is to put like 36% of your whole portfolio into bonds because that's going to reflect your general time horizon. And then the rest of it would go into stocks. When I'm 90, that means
1: I, I'm putting 90% in bonds. Yeah. Oh, Whoa. Okay. I have She's never heard shit. this rule. I love it. I like it's this It's so rule. easy. It's so straightforward. More, I need more easy rules like this in my life, please.
0: I got you, girl. And I'm long Bitcoin. So like long and short, <laughs> I, you'll hear that in the stock market a lot. So long just means you're like betting something's going to go up. Short is not the opposite of tall. It's the opposite of long on Wall Street. And it just means you think something's going in the shitter, pooper. Can I say hmm. shitter? Here, guys. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 we
1: curse a few times on you know. our podcast cool. yeah 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 we just Talk. put an explicit warning on it for the, <laughs> for
0: the kids I wouldn't have it any other way
1: Okay, real estate. A lot of people are buying real estate. Interest rates are low right now. Is it smart to sell your real estate?
0: You know, anecdotally, there are a lot of friends of mine who are selling homes or buying homes, and they are, like, going off the market, like, Crazy. So yeah, interest rates are low. To try and get a mortgage right now, you have to have more money down because banks are concerned about, especially for jumbo loans. So jumbo loans are like more than $750,000 or something that you're borrowing, not the whole value or price of the house. And so I think that right now, if you want to live in a place for a long time, like same rules apply that I've always had. Pandemic, schmandemic. Like if you are going to live there and nest there and not move around, then a house could be a great purchase. I just wouldn't think of it as an investment unless you want a show on HGTV. So like the whole idea that you're going to flip it, I really think that's dangerous. And also, you need to make sure that you're not house poor. Like, I want to rip my hair out when I hear folks say, like, I have $200,000 saved. I put all of that into a million dollar house. And then, you know, God forbid you lost your job or somebody gets sick or, you know, you have to Stop working or whatever. Like, you can't go to the grocery store and buy your four-ply toilet paper with your mortgage. You Mm -hmm. have to have some cash. You have to have some liquidity and an emergency fund, which now we've seen emergencies, hello, happen. And so... I've been talking about this for a really long time, and I'm not like, I told you so. But look, this is why we need an emergency fund. So nine months to a year, try to have that before even thinking about the house buying conversation. What? Remind
1: us about what, what we need in our emergency fund
0: again. So traditionally, I said three to six months of your brown rice and beans Budget. So that's not the fancy stuff. This was like when I was starting my career. Instead of eating ramen, I bought brown rice and beans because it sounded or felt a little fancier, but it was the same thing. I was so poor. It's that budget. So it's not like the mani patties. It's like your basic housing, transportation, food that you have in the bank or in a CD or a money market account, like something, a cash equivalent that you can use in case. Something else happens. But now that something really big did happen, I say try to be more conservative with it and try to increase the number of months if possible.
1: Okay, so we're thinking like 6 to
0: 12? Yeah, I think so. I know. Because back in the day, like I would say six to 12 or nine ish um, for folks that had precarious income. So, like if you were a model or a real estate agent or somebody who worked on commission or something like that, then, you know, the fluctuations might be greater. But now we're seeing that everybody's fluctuations can be possible. So that's why I say to try to increase it as much as possible. And, you know, think about the work from home stuff uh, as far as taxes go, because, you know, it could have some ramifications there that we're not necessarily going to account for until the end of the year. Um, Like if you left, let's say, San Francisco, guys, and you went to live with, you know, a family member in Arizona or Santa Fe or Texas or whatever, like there could be different Tax rules that apply. So um, I would just make sure that you account for those because it's probably going to be different than it used to be.
1: Yeah. Like I know that you can actually typically, at least in California, write off the amount of your home that you use for your work uh, as your office and then potentially part of your cell phone bill and your internet bill. And there's like a lot of ways to get returns back from your taxes just based on this whole working from home scenario. So I agree. That's like really smart way to do it.
0: Totally. And I will clarify that that works if you're self-employed. So that still doesn't apply uh, for taxes if you're employed by somebody else. And it doesn't apply if you use that space for anything else. Like It has to be, I've heard horror stories from the IRS, like dedicated to working only, like it can't be working from a dining room table that you can use for something else. You know, I would be careful on that. And don't assume that just because you're working from home, you get that same hookup. Self-employed folks still can do the same thing.
1: Well, that was actually my perfect segue because we wanted to talk about self-employed folks. There are a lot of people starting side hustles right now. And we believe that's a really interesting way to make money. Oh, yeah. Yes, (laughs) yeah. In fact, like we've helped hundreds of people do that this year through this new course called self made that we're offering. And I think that it could be a really positive thing, even though a lot of traditional side hustles may not be feasible right now. But what is your advice on people looking to make that extra money doing a side hustle?
0: I mean, I would love to double click on it with you guys and what you have to say about it, because, you know, my perspective is that whether it's pandemic or not, you should always be, you know, pivoting like any entrepreneur, as you'll forget more than I will ever know about this, um, you know, needs to be doing and going virtual. So, like, if you we're a hairdresser, please virtually do my hair because I am in need, or please teach me how to do my nails or something like that. I think that every side hustle, whether you think you have some great business or idea or not, is not really the point. I would encourage people to think about what they can teach. And this is a great way to think about this for this podcast, because you have something to teach. Everybody has something to teach, whether it's like, East Asian art history or like basket weaving or whatever. I mean, there is somebody who will pay for that knowledge. So I think instead of focusing on how do I make more money, just really focusing on like, what can I do to be of service? And like, what's my knowledge arbitrage, so to speak? Like, where do I have a leg up in the knowledge that somebody else might want to pay for?
2: So do you think that people should be thinking that way in like a longer term lens? Or is it still I feel like a lot of it right now, and certainly a couple months ago was like, what kind of side hustle or what thing can I teach just for right now? But this isn't a forever thing. This is just going to be for a couple of months. Do you think people should be thinking longer term about some of these changes we're talking about?
0: Listen, I think investing in yourself will pay most dividends later on. So, we've talked a lot about the stock market and different investments, and you can make like 10% of a return, and then, you know, minus typical inflation, which is about 3%. So, You know, ultimately, you're making accounting for inflation like 7% over time. I like to look at like big data sets Mm -hmm. for this type of stuff. But I think if you're young, especially, then investing in your career and investing in yourself will likely pay more than a 10% or 7% return. If you're investing in the right way, teaching yourself stuff, listening to all these podcasts, taking classes. You know, I think that that's where you're going to see more returns, I would say, um, and I'm not a betting woman, than any cryptocurrency that you're going to possibly buy.
1: What about other ways to make a little bit of extra cash? So uh, full disclosure, I invested in a company called Neighbor. It's neighbor.com you can actually get paid to store your neighbor's stuff for them in any extra space you have in your house. It's kind of like Airbnb for storage. But like a coworker of mine is literally getting paid 200 bucks a month for storing his neighbor's college kid's stuff that they didn't want to keep in their dorm in his crawl space. Um, and I think it's just fascinating that there are all these new ways to make money just by using stuff you might already have. There's another site called Rev.com, which we actually use sometimes to transcribe these podcast episodes. Um, And it's humans that are literally transcribing audio and getting paid by the minute, I think, for, for their transcription skills. And so, like, what do you think of all these extra ways to make money as a quote unquote side hustle?
0: So I think the transcription people, that would be like in the side hustle bucket. And I would say the other stuff, like the neighbors of the world, will be more in the passive income bucket, right? Because you're not really doing anything extra for that. And I would really keep in mind your billable hours. So if you actually want to use one of those services to get something done for you, I wouldn't necessarily like get so freaked out by a fee that you're paying as some premium, like don't try to nickel and dime your way into wealth. If that saves you time, everyone has billable hours, not just lawyers. You can figure out your billable hours, take your salary, divide it by time. And I think that changes your perspective on how you use and value your time. You cannot get more time. And so I think when you're assessing whether or not you want to have that side hustle, like if it makes sense for your billable hours on either side of it, then get after it. And yeah, I mean, if you have more ways to earn passive income for doing, like, jack shit, then also get after it. Should we jump into
1: savings just for a second? I know we're talking about making money, but you sort of do make money when you save money, right?
0: You do. And if you get the debt monkey off your back, you'll have more money that you're making in the long run because you're not spending so much money on compounding interest. So, compounding interest, Einstein said, is the eighth wonder of the world. So, why the heck did he say that? It's because it's awesome when it works in your favor. It just means your money is making money for you. So, when you put money into the stock market and you reinvest it, you reinvest the profits, then that money is making more money versus simple interest that would be just like a 5% return on your base investment. And so, when it works against you with credit card debt, it is the worst. So, I think that when you get that, you know, debt situation under control, you'll ultimately make more because if you're starting to invest and you're earning interest, it's just going to be canceled out by like interest that you're paying on debt.
1: So what you're saying is, um, ideally, don't invest or start your high-yield savings account until you're actually out of debt so that those returns can actually compound for
0: you. Totally. And your checking account is not a savings account. So you said high-yield savings account. That is typically an online savings account. And I know that might sound scary, but I think now another winner of the pandemic financially, is that we're getting down more with online stuff. And so I think if you would have asked me a year ago, people would be concerned about putting their money in an online bank. They'd be like, no, I want to go to Bank of America or Chase and see Barbara every morning and like get those little pens and mints and like make deposits in real life, and it seems real. Well, that's not even a possibility. And I love Barbara as much as the next girl, or mints, or pens, or whatever. But you don't need those things. And when a bank has those things, that means they have to pay for those things. So that means they have a bunch of overhead that they are essentially taking all of Barbara's salary and all the swag and all the stuff like out of the interest that you're making. And listen, like. Get your own breath in order. <laughs> like You don't need that <laughs> stuff. I would rather you have more in interest, which is what you're going to get in an online bank, than anything else.
1: What are examples of online banks that you suggest we try?
0: Ally. Uh, I mean, again, there are so many good ones that don't have brick and mortar stores if you can you know, get down with that idea. And oftentimes, like you'll have a chat feature as well in case you have questions. But listen, it's not... A lot more. I'm not going to lie. It's not like, you know, a couple percentage points, even. It's like a couple of basis points in some cases. And basis points, when you hear Wall Street people talk about that, that just means like fractions of a percent. So, like, two basis points is 0.02%. 20 basis points is 0.2%. And then 200 basis points is basically just 2%, like 2.00. That's where you get the 200 part from.
1: That's a good piece of homework. We should have to, everyone listening should have to use the phrase basis points in a sentence this week.
0: It's hmm. a good one. And then that that's part of the jargon too that we talked about before. Like you don't really need another term to say that, right? but it sounds like, whoa, you're so cool and so educated in the investing world. And it's really like you can just honestly say 2% instead of 200 basis points. Same thing. But <laughs> It's fine. Yeah.
1: Oh, my God. The stock market was down 30 basis points today. Did you see Ooh. the news? Isn't that good? Is that, was that cool. super cash? Yeah. Thanks.
0: Thanks. So I'm cash. So
2: nonchalant. Yeah. So speaking of jargon and acronyms and all that good stuff, what about 401ks versus IRAs? How do you know which one is a better bet for your retirement savings right now? What
0: do you mean, which one? Why do I have to choose? Oh,
2: so you don't have to
0: choose. Tell us more. It's the more the merrier when it comes to retirement accounts, and especially retirement accounts that are linked to the stock market. You know, gone are the days of pensions. Like, they're... In the way of the Blackberry or the Dodo (laughs) bird. Like they're not as widespread as they used to be. A lot of our retirement vehicles are linked to the stock market. This really scares me. And this is like a whole other episode that I don't want to be super, super Debbie Downer, but we've not seen a generation retire yet using a vehicle that's linked to the stock market. So this freaks me out. And it freaks me out that people think a 401k is going to be enough in retirement because it's likely not. It just doesn't make sense if you do the math. And 401ks, if they're traditional 401ks, there are Roth 401ks in some cases. The only difference is taxes. But here's the thing. Like, if you're looking at your statement, you might not account for that big chunk of taxes that you're going to have to take out when you're that sassy old lady and you need it. And for a rough, you pay taxes now, so you don't pay taxes later. And I prefer that because I'm, again, not a betting woman, but I assume taxes are only going in one direction. And I'm betting on you, really, that your tax bracket is going to be higher, that you're going to make so much money that like the government's going to want so much more of your money. So if you can do both, that would be ideal. If you could do more than both, that would be also ideal for me. You don't have to choose an individual retirement account. So an IRA is like wherever you go, you can take it with you. And sometimes when we have these conversations, we skip the idea of like, where do we actually go? So you can get an IRA literally from your bank. Like, if you want one, if you have Chase or Bank of America or whatever, like, you go there. That's where you buy your IRA. And the 401k goes through your employer. So, I would say if you could, again, back to that diversification, if you could do something with a Roth function and something with a traditional function, that would be better. Just because I don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to happen. Nobody knows what's going to happen. So like try to protect yourself as much as possible.
1: Okay. How much money should you be putting towards your retirement versus investing?
0: Oh it's a great question and also I think that there's more of a movement now to take mini retirements and like rethink the idea of retirement. It really like depends on how old you are to divvy up that percentage. So I think last time I was on the show um we talked about a basic spending plan and these are just general guidelines. So back in the day, I would have suggested 70% going to your essential expenses, so your food, your housing, your transportation, all that stuff. 15% going to the extras, so the latte, the mani petty, the rainbow track suit that I'm currently wearing on this Zoom call, and then 15% for retirement, investing, savings, and all that stuff. Now in the new normal, I would try to squirrel that back to 65% going to the essentials, 30% to the end game, and then 5% to the extras because, you know, Amazon is like kryptonite and it's really nice to buy stupid crap. But like, I think we're all seeing that that doesn't make us happy. And also, like, where are we wearing all the fancy things that we thought mattered? Nowhere. I'm Nowhere. literally
1: wearing a hoodie most days. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's right. And I think like a Another really big winner financially of this is that we've changed our perspective around that crap. Like, we don't need to buy more crap.
1: Okay, before we go, I want to play another game of money, myth, or fact, if you're up for it. I'm always up for it. (laughs) Always up for a good money game. Myth or fact.
2: You need to have more than one credit card for a better credit score.
0: Hmm. So I would say this is, I know you don't want to hear this, is like myth and fact. So if you had more credit cards open, then don't cut them up. But you don't necessarily need to open more if you only had one to start with. Mm -hmm. So like, if you had more, keep them, keep like a small bill on them. Um, It's not going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you more if you cut them up. And if you have one, that's cool. You don't need to. Please don't open one of the store credit cards.
1: never please please please. never okay myth or fact a successful freelancer needs to create an llc
0: So that's a myth. You can set up an LLC if it makes sense for you, or an LLP, a limited liability partnership, or an S-Corp, which I have, or a C-Corp, which likely a freelancer is not going to set up. There's all sorts of different options, but you don't need one. You can be a sole proprietor, um, and depending on what type of freelancer you are. Boom. Drop the mic. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) This is
2: back to credit cards. Okay. Okay. Myth or fact, it's bad to pay off your credit card early. So for example, I really like paying my credit card right away, like every two weeks, sometimes every week if I make a big purchase. Great. But I feel like some people say that you're supposed to like wait and do it monthly and to not sort of preemptively pay out your balance.
0: Oh, okay. So it depends on what your balance is. So if you've maxed it out with that Trip that you just booked, then yeah, you want to get that down because you want to show that you have a whole bunch of credit and you're not using that much. So let's say you had $10,000 of credit available to you on your Amex and you went balls to the wall and went on the $10,000 trip. Like you're going to want to pay at least seven grand off um, and show that you have sort of this utilization score, again, fancy jargon mm-hmm. for showing, you know, the credit bureaus that you are really responsible with your credit and you're not like maxing it out.
1: Myth or fact, if I have the opportunity to raise the amount of credit I can borrow
0: on my credit card, I should. Yes, fact. Fact. Absolutely. You totally should because that's likely going to improve your utilization score. So that's going to show the credit bureaus and your credit score is basically your financial report card. It's showing them that you're more responsible because you have a lot of credit and you're likely not using that much.
1: Okay. Myth or fact. If my credit score is bad, it will take me at least a year for it to get good again.
0: Myth. It depends. The easiest way to increase your credit score, and I know this sounds like Pollyanna-ish, is to pay your bills on time. Uh, That's the biggest factor of your credit score, late payments. So, You know, this is a great time to automate everything. You can automate your contributions to your investment account in that dollar cost averaging thing we talked about. You can automate all of your bills. So that's never an issue. It's not necessarily that you're an irresponsible individual, but like you're moving, you know, life happens, something, you know, it's not necessarily that you don't have the money to pay for it, but that is what it looks like to creditors. So the quicker you can do that, the quicker it will increase, but there's not like a one year, two years situation. I wish there was.
1: Nicole, what is your making money homework for everyone this week?
0: My making money homework for the week is to use the phrase basis points in a sentence. Yes. And just like (laughs) imagine dropping the mic and just feeling really proud of yourself because I think that that creates some momentum and feeling empowered uh, is what I hope for everyone listening and that just becomes contagious. That's the only thing I hope is contagious. (laughs) I bet you get
1: and you track. Financially confident is your homework for this week. And this is the first step towards that. Nicole, we also have some really exciting news to announce together, right? We're having a baby. Yes, (laughs) a baby uh, on Burton Co. Because we are going to (laughs) be... We are going to be launching some courses that Nicole has created on Brit.co slash learn, where we keep all of our courses. Um, And do you want to give us a quick preview of what those courses are going to be?
0: Yes, we are expecting. And those babies will be the money school, which is basically my money masterclass. So it's a 12-step plan to getting your financial shiz together. And so everything we talked about in this podcast, I break down into steps. So like, here's what you do first. Here's what you do second. If you are taking notes like, oh, was I supposed to pay down debt or put money into an emergency fund or how much am I supposed to put here or there, I break it down into video modules and quizzes and worksheets and all that stuff. Because for a really long time, I would always say, why is there not a financial literacy class taught in school? And I would be on this soapbox, and then I was finally like, I have to just do it myself. And Stop complaining about it. And then the boss school is similar. It's it's my business master class, and it basically teaches you how to be the boss in different areas of your life. And for women in particular, we go through different stages. You know, I worked for bigger companies, CNN, CNBC, Bloomberg. I could go back and work for bigger companies. Who knows? I worked for myself. I could be a mompreneur. I could be all these things. And how to make money in different stages of your life as the boss of you. So I break down all of that jargon.
1: Awesome. Those courses will all be on their own URL at Brit.co slash Nicole Lappin. And if you are interested in that entrepreneurial journey to start making your own money, we have our self-made course at tryselfmade.com, where we will guide you over a 10-week journey to do just that. And it's been done now by hundreds of women, and they have successfully started launching businesses and creating that income. So uh, Nicole's courses, our course, like we've got all the tools you need to start making money. So I hope you guys do it. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming back, Nicole. Great advice as always. If you missed Nicole in season one of Teach Me Something New, don't forget to go back and download her advice for budgeting and spending and all the money 101 basics. You can also hear her and her co-host Jason Pfeiffer from Entrepreneur Magazine on their podcast, Hush Money, giving more great money advice. We'll talk to you soon, Nicole. Thanks, ladies. Thanks for listening to Teach Me Something New, a production of iHeartRadio and Brit Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. Find more information about each episode at Brit.co slash listen. You can also find me on social media. I'm at Brit or follow us at Brit & Co. Special shout out to my co-host Ange, who you can find on Instagram at Angelica Temple. Teach Me Something New is executive produced by Christine Swar and Ali Perry, with additional production and sound design by Aaron Kaufman.